How's your sleep pattern at this point? How's your... Uh, it's pretty normal. I mean, you're older than I am. How do you handle staying up for, what was it, 20, 30 hours or something like that? 26 hours was how long the stream was. Jeez. Um, we... I have a kid, mm-hmm. so my sleep patterns have been destroyed for like seven years now, and I'm fine. Oh, okay. Sure. Um, <laughs> my, my strategy is get up right before the stream starts, go until the stream is over, take like a, a two to four hour nap at most just enough that I'm functional and then try desperately to stay awake until like 10 o'clock the next night so I can go to sleep and have a normal sleep schedule. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah, it worked. Do you have a, do you have a midstream um, kind of revitalization strategy? Like I would, uh, when I was doing the 24 at home, I had like a 2 a.m. kind of combo stand outside for five minutes. Yeah. And like look at the moon and breathe in the cold night air and then take like a fast, like two minute cold, cold, lukewarm shower and then make a pot of coffee. Like that was my, I'm going to get through the rest of this by doing these three things. That's a good one. So uh, let's see. Usually I ate a bunch of junk food, Ooh, which is bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, this time I, every time I got up, I did some jumping jacks okay. or like jogged in place for a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, I had to go out and leave the house like five hours in for a soccer game. Oh, right. Which yeah. was awesome. Because yeah. I realized that yeah, the world's still out there. Absorb some daylight, some some blue wavelength. Yeah. V- vitamin D load. And then... Um, like instead of eating garbage, I got some cut fruit from the grocery store. Yes. I ate like some cut pineapple and watermelon and stuff like that. Uh, I had some salami and cheese when I wanted a little protein bump. And then I had a giant cheese pizza that I kind of munched on the whole time. Ooh, wow. Huh. That's a real turn. And no Red Bull. Yeah. Wow. I skipped the Red Bull entirely. Okay. Yeah, I did. I did. I just did cold brew coffee this year. Yeah. These these lunatics at work every time we stream there for this thing, they just want to do like pizza and booze. And I just can't <sighs> comprehend why you would do that to yourself. Like I, I was always like I would stock the fridge with like like yogurt and like kale salad and beef jerky and just real light. Yeah. Like energy food. And that would get me through. But, uh, you know, it's different, different strokes. I like a scrambled egg. Scrambled egg in there is good because you, know, you can eat that and then you don't have to go to the bathroom afterwards. So that's nice. Just a protein blast. Yeah. But, you know, it's all for the kids, Brad. For the kids. Hashtag beat Dave Lang. Was that a real hashtag? Uh, we were trying. Ah. I mean, the goal is always to beat Dave Lang, no matter what. In any and all things. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it, we were the grassroots Bernie campaign to Dave Lang's Hillary juggernaut, and uh, he had all of his his big money game industry friends, whereas we had you know seven hundred small time donors. He's always he's always feasting, leaving no table scraps for the rest of us. Yeah, no, no, it's not okay. It's not okay. <laughs> Welcome to Brad and Will Make a Tech Pod. I'm Will. Hello. Hi, I'm Brad. Hello. Hi. How's it going, Brad? It's tech time in tech town. I'm not wearing sweatpants today, but I am wearing pajama bottoms. Nice. So I feel like it's it's basically the same thing. Got some good gym shorts going on over here. I didn't do my hair. I never do my hair for this podcast. That's a little, be- no. that's a little behind the scenes secret that people can get on. You feel like you're on the inside. I see natural Brad Shoemaker hair, which I haven't seen in five years, I think, at this point. Really don't want to see what my hair looks like without anything in it. Mine is uh, very floppy, yep. it turns out. Yep. Bedhead. Bedhead tech. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. That's that's the that's the name of our follow up podcast. That's the after show. We come up with a new name for this podcast every week. What do you uh, what do you think about new names for Wi Fi, Brad? Um, yeah, that's kind of my first question about today's topic. 
which is Wi-Fi 6. Yes. Is it just the sequel to uh, 802.11 AC? So, yes, it is the sixth generation of Wi-Fi, if you begin counting with B, I believe. So, in other words, the consortium, the Wi-Fi... The Wi-Fi alliance, yeah. The steering committee for Wi-Fi realized that 802.11 AC is not a good example of a marketable name for their technology? It turns out that, yeah, it's a little confusing for the normal consumers, especially when you realize that uh, Wi-Fi 6 would be called AX, I believe. Yeah, wow, that's, that's kind of worse because you've already got an A in the previous one. Well, but the X is cool. The X is the coolest number, uh, coolest letter, right? X, X does sound very edgy and futuristic for sure, but uh, okay, so hang on. There was... Name them all. There's B, G, N, and AC, which I assume are 2 through 5. What was the first one? Was there just 802.11? B is the first one. B, B is Wi-Fi 1. A, which everybody forgets, the 5.4 gigahertz version of what became... G. So B came out in like 2003 or something, 2000, somewhere around in there, right? A was developed simultaneously, but the chipsets lagged because it operated in the five gigahertz spectrum. Okay. So there weren't, it had a faster theoretical maximum because there's more bandwidth the, in the higher spectrum. They had manufacturing difficulties and actually can't end up coming out after B for the for all intents and purposes and had really, really low adoption. So A just kind of just kind of never caught on. I mean, it was used in like embedded systems and stuff like that. Uh, the Sonos, I think the early Sonos speakers used A huh. because it was it was uncontested. Well, one of the benefits of using A instead of B instead of B was that if you had 2.4 gigahertz interference, which was a big problem with B, if you can think back, you might not have had Wi-Fi back then, but when B was new, you'd turn on your microwave oven, which also operates at the 2.4 gigahertz range, and it would crap out everybody's Wi-Fi in the neighborhood. Wait a minute. I was I was under the impression that the, Far- the Faraday cage and the microwave was protecting me from any emissions from that thing. Well, it is, but the but the uh, coil that makes this the thing is a massive radio generator. Ah, so the, the microwaves are blasting into the oven. The EM is coming out the other end of that. Oh, well, that would make sense. Yeah, of course, because microwaves and radio waves wouldn't inter- interact with each other, right? Yeah, I mean, it's all just light at the end of the day. But different, you know, different shapes of light. Exactly. So, so like A came out after B, but before G, is that right? A came out after B, but before G. So, a, but then, but then G, G is also a 2.4 gigahertz, right? So B, G basically takes the stuff that they did in B and puts it on the 2.4 gigahertz spectrum. So they did like they did the, the stuff that they did to get 54 mega, megabits per second theoretical with A, um, they, they moved over to G. So it has like wider channels, uh, so I think A was uh, sorry B was ten megahertz channels. So that's like the how wide the frequency band was that that each channel used. Uh, G moved them to twenty megahertz, which doubles the speed immediately. And then they also used some signals, the signal mod- modulation from A that gave them the higher speed there, and that helped reduce interference. So it was a little bit more usable, and like your cordless phones wouldn't knock. Remember cordless phones? That was a thing. Huh? Yeah, yeah, they wouldn't knock the uh, Wi-Fi off either. So it was B, then A, then G, then N, then AC, and now six. Yes. So B is one, A is two, G is three, N is four, AC is five, and X A X is six. This is a hard change to make midstream. I feel like because as as clunky as eight hundred two dot eleven blank is to say, like that's kind of what I've gotten used to. So so my third day at Maximum PC, the Wi-Fi Alliance showed up and was like, hey. We would like to talk to you about this thing that we're doing, because up until that point, all of the nascent 
Wi-Fi, like wireless networking stuff, you had to buy within one hardware brand. I can't believe you've met agents of the Wi-Fi Alliance. Oh, I met them multiple times over the years. They were very, very available. Were they wearing like trench coats and sunglasses and slick back hair and like an earpiece? They were like normal suit wearing early 2000s PR types. Okay. Was, they were they were very affable. All right. They may have been Canadian. Okay. They're not the men in, not men in black or anything. No, no, no. They were they they didn't try to flashy. I don't remember them flashy thinking. I mean, maybe they did. Who knows? Like they they we asked. I I specifically was like, hey, do you think that this 802.11 stuff is a good branding thing for for this? You know, do you think people are going to understand this? They're like, oh yeah, sure. It's going to be so ubiquitous that they understand it. They'll have no choice but to understand. I was like, I don't know if that's how this works. Consortiums have a sterling record of making um, accurate predictions about what people will be able to understand and keep track of. I mean, it worked out so so far, and the generations are pretty long. So it's like a you know four or five year generation on average for for each one. So like, it's not and and kind of it doesn't matter after you got past G. It kind of doesn't matter whether you have an N, A, C, A, X, whatever, uh, unless you're doing something weird like, you know, using a Steam link to stream inside your house, stream video games inside your house yeah. or something that requires actual performance. Or, you know, if you have all of your bulk storage on the network and need to move things around that way. Fair. Fair. Let's say I was backing up all of my girlfriend's pictures from iCloud to my NAS the other day mm-hmm. and thinking, man, if I had faster Wi-Fi, all this, these gigabytes of pictures would be copying a lot faster than they are. Is it copying from her? Why don't you plug the laptop in? From a, oh, well, I could have, but I don't got either Lucy Ethernet cables just hanging around all over the place, man. That, that's unsightly. Wow. That's crass. You got to get a dangler, man. You got to have just one. You got to have one just hanging out of the router that you can just plug it whatever you need to and get your business in the port. I mean, I don't have good access to my router and switch and stuff like that. I, I love hidden electronics. So I've got that stuff all mounted behind my desk. So I have to uh, lay down on my back on the floor and crawl under my desk to plug in an Ethernet cable because I like not seeing things. Brad, it's you know what? You like not seeing things. And you, I mean, that, that explains the monitors. Then. The, the very this all comes yeah, around. I so. I'm very particular. <laughs> uh Anyway, yeah, Wi-Fi, it's fast in the home. It's fine for the most part. I don't know. Certainly stuff that you could complain about, but it's pretty good. I was going to say N was a was a real turning point. This was probably the last time I talked to the Wi-Fi Alliance people for what it's worth. Um, but see, like you went from 54 megabits per second throughput to 600 megabits per throughput, uh, megabits per second throughput on N with the jump from G to N. Yeah. Huh. I thought it was depending on antenna configuration. Okay. I was going to, cause I've, I've traditionally always understood N to top out at 300 and I never even, I would rarely even connect at that, but, but maybe that's, maybe that's being on a cheap consumer router. I don't know. It's, it, well, it depends on how many antennas it literally is dependent on how many antennas you have. Cause, uh, N used a technology called MIMO, which is multiple in multiple out. Um, multiple inputs, multiple outputs. And basically what it does is use multiple antennas to create multiple kind of radio pipes through the environment. So it would look around and it would find reflections like metal that causes reflections and things like that. And each of those reflections, it could create a different pipeline from the, from the router to the endpoint and back. And so if you had two antennas on that router, then you would get double the throughput to a single device, assuming the other end also had two antennas. Do I, do I understand correctly that Wi-Fi is inherently asynchronous unless you employ workarounds like that? Is that correct? Like on a single channel or a single antenna or whatever? Like you're not you're not able to send and receive at the same time, right? It, I think it depends. That's a good question. I don't know that, actually. This is where, you know, like, you know, it's easy to look at like, OK, N is equivalent to this throughput. You know, AC does this. But when you get into like channel width and number of bonded channels and number of antennas and all that stuff, that's where I feel like even for somebody who's fairly technically minded, it can get really kind of lost in the weeds 
understanding what your capabilities actually are? Well, what, I mean, one of the things that's a problem with this is that like, the throughput is shared for every device that's connected to the to the router at whatever spec you're using. So, like AC and N routers will step down and like use one of the radios in an N router as a G G radio if it has to, if there's G devices connected. So that will bring down the overall throughput on your entire network. If you plug in one, say, Nintendo DS Lite. Interesting. Okay. Um, it'll bring down everything else that's on that node. You won't have that second antenna available for the end stuff until you get to later hardware, which can actually time slice the radio. And that has a performance impact as well. But it's it's less than just turning it, turning it all the way down. Like that seems unavoidable right now because like we're still I, th- I think we've probably bought devices in the last year that still use G. And that's just kind of the nature of things. Right. Wow. Oh, man, I, I haven't had G. I think my routers have been set to AC and N backwards compatibility for a couple of years, and I haven't had any problems. Well, like any 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 like high end com- computing oriented device is probably going to be at least in, if not AC at this point. But I'm talking stuff like, um, you know, little little home automation enabled light strip that I got oh, right. a few months ago. And like we've got a uh, it's not a Roomba, but we've got a like a deep robot vacuum knockoff robot vacuum. And I'm trying to think, I mean, we've got a couple smart plugs and I think those are all G still. And there's just not a lot if you're unless you're buying super high end everything. Like, I feel like you're still kind of stuck with that. Well, so one of the things you can do is set it to set the router to time slice. So you're not using the full amount of, of the antenna's time to 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 serve your old hardware. The the interesting side effect of having multiple antennas in the devices is that things like repeaters and uh, and those types of devices went from trying to time slice one radio to having three or four radios in the device so that your mesh networks and stuff like that actually work really well now versus in the G and, and even early N days when they did not work at all. And the idea behind a mesh network is essentially just seamless handoff as you move around. Is that right? Like you're always connected to the same SSID and just not worrying about physically where you are in the net on, you know, in the kind of coverage map. That's definitely one of the benefits, but the, the main thing is that having multiple radios lets the router and the other mesh network endpoints dedicate a radio to talking either upstream or downstream. So, for example, you have a router that's plugged into, the, into your cable modem. Uh, that router has multi, I mean, that device has multiple radios and it will pipe one to the mesh network that's only plugged into power in your bedroom. And then there's a radio that, that, those radios can jump around and they pass the signal without having to have the, like the there's downtime when a radio connects. So like, you, you know, when you turn on your phone at the house and it connects to Wi-Fi, when you get home and it takes a second or two for it to log in and, and grab an IP address and all that stuff. The, if the mesh networks have to do that every time they're passing a signal back and forth, it adds a massive amount of latency, which doesn't slow down the throughput at all. Really? It does a little bit, but it makes it feel really slow. So having the dedicated radios to keep that, those connections live all the time makes a big difference. I assume it's not one radio, one device, right? Like a radio has to be up or down. It can't be both. But but whichever mode it's in, it can be talking to multiple clients at the same time, right? Probably. It depends on the implementation, I'm sure. <laughs> but like the, it's incredibly complicated. Well, this this is why it took 15, 18, 17 years before we started seeing good mesh, mesh network implementations for Wi-Fi. I mean, people were selling Wi-Fi range extenders from like... 2004 it was the second thing that they probably made for what for 802.11b but they were always bad or they required you to run an ethernet cable to the to the range extender okay so yeah, just to be clear because i don't have any hands-on experience with mesh networks i've just got a single standalone access point 
Um, yeah. But that is the biggest advantage, right? Is there are no cables. There are no Ethernet cables involved with the whatever you want to call them, the repeaters or the kind of the nodes around the network. Like, do they, they just plug into power and that's it? Well, and and yeah, in most cases, like the Google case, which is the one I've spent the most time with, my my parents have at their place, like their house is, is old. So it's not particularly big, but it's old. And the construction means that the Wi-Fi doesn't go through the walls very well. So they have to have multiple uh, access points on multiple floors and each access point is like a bubble of Wi-Fi. Um, what they did was buy a bunch of Google homes. And as long as you put them close enough that they have good signal between each other, you, you really can't tell that they're, that they're not wired in when they're on AC. And, and it, that also gives has the added benefit of letting them do things like put one in the barn outside. So there's a Wi-Fi hotspot around the barn. Wi-Fi in the barn. Well, when you live out in the country and don't have cell service, it turns out barn Wi-Fi is really good. Yeah, I guess so. Just going to, you know, go lay up in the hayloft with my iPad and just kind of catch up on the news. Look, you, you, when you're working on the tractor, you want to have Spotify. That's all I'm saying. That's fair. I guess that makes sense. So are most mesh networks modular in that you, know, you can, it sounds like, I mean, you mentioned this with the Google stuff already. Like, can you just add nodes at will or do you hit a maximum? Um, I'm sure there's a theoretical maximum when you get far enough in. But yeah, with the Google ones, like you buy a three pack and that covers most houses. Um, and and all the units are the same. It's not like you have to buy a router and then buy a different access point. Oh, for those, you just plug them in and then they configure as either access points, me- mesh nodes, wired mesh, no- wireless mesh nodes, wired mesh nodes, or the router, depending on where they are in the topology of the network. Oh, interesting. Okay. I was envisioning like some kind of master control node that then spooled out to a bunch of like, you know, repeaters or something. But that's, that sounds more elegant. It seems like with the Orbi and the, and the, and the Google stuff that they're smart enough to just know. And the cost of putting the router, like, the, this is another weird thing that's happened because the cost of those arm chips that drive these devices has gotten really inexpensive, but it's no more cost for that. It's probably more expensive for them to make two different products than it is just make the one product that has the maximum capabilities across the board. Yeah, that's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, that's another another one of the cases of just this like massive, uh, efficient compute power making everything better. Yeah. So so uh, let's see. I think we've talked about ABG. An N. Uh, I, I was just going to mention real fast. Uh, I mean, we touched on some of this stuff a little bit in that internet slash networking episode we did a few weeks ago. Uh-huh. And I was talking about how, uh, remember how I said I couldn't remember, like I could remember pre-Wi-Fi and post-Wi-Fi, but not that transition. Yeah. Not that inflection point. Yeah. Uh, I think it was the Nintendo DS, actually. Wow. Like, I think that was my, I think the first DS, which was a B device that could only support web security, which just sounds like Stone Age technology at this point. Pure Nintendo-ass Nintendo right there. Yeah. But I mean, that was like 2004. So like, you know, there were no smartphones then. Like, you didn't have much of a need for Wi-Fi at that point. And I'm pretty sure the DS was my first exposure to the very concept of Wi-Fi. So I... I was reviewing laptops and stuff at Maximum PC, and I was the networking guy, so I had all of the Wi-Fis early on. Yeah, so yeah, you had, I'm sure you had a much greater, like, professional need for that stuff, but, like, thinking back on it, especially, like, covering games professionally back then, like, I really, I feel, I think my feeling was just like, oh, work has Wi-Fi, and I will download the DS games while I'm there. Or, no, we weren't even downloading yeah, games Yeah, you were then, getting actually. cartridges. We were still buying, yeah. still getting cartridges, but whatever you needed to do on the Wi-Fi, it was just like, oh, I'll do it when I'm in the office, and then who cares once I get home. Did you, so I... I remember the first time when I was writing for ours still lived in Tennessee, I had gotten a wireless kit and I was able to sit on the couch with the wireless kit and look stuff up on the internet very, very slowly while I was writing articles, which was incredible. Like that was a real, that was a magical moment. Just like the moment of getting information to a device without anything tethered to it. Yeah. But for the first time. Well, but then, but then I didn't have another laptop for 
probably five years. Like I didn't get a laptop. I didn't have a work issued laptop at maximum PC until 2005 or 2006 when they gave me a MacBook for, um, so I could look at proofs on my computer instead of bothering one of the designers. One more, uh, one more little piece of old man reminiscing about this stuff before we get into the hot news tech. Um, also, this is dangerously far afield of Wi-Fi because it's not actually Wi-Fi, <laughs> but it's still fun to mention. Uh, were you? Uh, did you have any exposure to like EVDO stuff back around that time? Oh, because I had a company issued laptop with a PCMCIA slot on it, uh-huh. and an EVDO card which connected to whatever the contemporary cell data network was. Was that it was Edge? GPRS? Probably. It was pre-Edge. Really? Yeah, it was probably. So it would have been like 0304. That was probably. The 2G GPRS stuff, yeah. I thought Edge was 2G. Edge so was right. like Edge was like was 2G after. It was like it was like midway between, as I recall. I can't remember. Oh, was that like like 2G plus or something? But I I would sit there distinctly remember sitting at a Microsoft press conference at E3 in like 04 with this giant laptop with this huge card sticking out of the side loading our CMS at probably bytes per second <laughs> and trying to like live blog what was being announced by typing into a field in this thing over this garbage ass cell card. So I did that once at QuakeCon but I think the time I um, the Gizmodo and Edgadget folks kind of independently and simultaneously invented the live blog. If you remember back when like the iPhone was new, when when iPhone keynotes would drive uh, three months worth of traffic in like five minutes to a to a tech blog, and my friend Brian, who was a former intern and was the editor of Gizmodo, had done one, but he was like, I want to have pictures for this, and I was credentialed for the Gizmodo keynote. Uh, I mean, for the Apple keynote as well. And he was like, hey, if we share this, can we can you take pictures while I do the live blog? So the first time we had pictures dumping into the feed for the live blog, I was sitting there shooting with a Canon D20. And we were uploading over one of those hotspots that was probably a 3G hotspot. It was probably one of the brand new 3G hotspots. Um, and like we were we it was challenging because we needed something that was tethered to the laptop, like that you could plug in with the USB to the laptop. But if the pictures were too big, they just wouldn't upload. They'd fail. So we had to set the camera as low as it would go. And then I was only allowed to take one picture every like two minutes or three minutes <laughs> or else we'd overload the connection. It was a weird time. Yeah, it was. Those things were neat, but they weren't great. And they were be- they were almost always better than the event Wi-Fi. That was the that was the secret. Yes, absolutely. That stuff would just get completely slammed and become utterly useless. Uh, that honestly, like, I mean, this is I swear. Let's get back to top on topic. I, I'll stop digressing after this. But like that was maybe the most rewarding or some of the most rewarding work I've done in that field because you were doing so much with so little. Like you really had to get creative to come up with solutions to problems that hadn't really been addressed yet. You know, like we like there was a time when probably before those EVDO cards became really available or maybe around the same time like we would have somebody with a phone that had an aim client on it something like a T-Mobile sidekick at the press conference yeah I aiming literally aiming the news to somebody back in a workroom somewhere writing up the actual stories because you know nothing was live streamed back then oh yeah nothing was getting out of those press conferences like literally we were getting like 20 to 30 minutes up on the competition by having somebody IM that stuff as opposed to like running out and writing it up after the thing well and and like figuring that getting to figure that stuff out was so fun yeah it like really it was. was it was like here are the tools that we have available to us how can we assemble these in a way that's going to give us an edge over the other people doing the exact same thing it's always been more fun to solve problems with very like primitive and limited tools than it has been to really be flush with solutions and just kind of have everything work well and and like in the old days, it, it was it was just hard. Like it was everything was limited. Wi-Fi. I think the first time I went to a CES keynote 
with a Wi-Fi laptop, it worked. And then the next year, too many people had them because at the time you could only put like 256 people on a node or something like that. And there were 3000 people in the theater and they had probably four nodes. So basically you could connect and then it would just stall out for the next hour. And, and, you know, when Bill Gates was doing his talk, you would, you would get a third of that uploaded. So it was, it was, yeah. Mainstream adoption ruins everything. Yeah. It was all better. when It was just a bunch of nerds on the internet. Speaking of mainstream adoption. Yeah. Wi-Fi. AC. Uh, so prior to N, there was question over whether Wi-Fi would ever be good enough to replace like wired networks. And there was other stuff. There was like power line networks. There were networks that operated over the cable coax in your house. Um, and that stuff mostly has gone away for consumers. You can still buy power line stuff. Uh, and the, it turns out the cable stuff got mostly is mostly used in like set top boxes now by AT and T and and Comcast and things like that to share like to pipe video around your house um, if you have multiple cable boxes. But AC took off and um, expanded the width of the channels between eighty to one hundred and sixty megahertz. It gave uh, multiple. Made way more antennas than were available to the 802.11n spec, and um, uh, they standardized beamforming, which was like an optional thing in N, and turns out makes it makes a big deal in how performance works. Beamforming has always sounded like the most futuristic high tech shit to me. It's it it is the math is terrifying, but the basic gist is that if you have two antennas and you uh, time the signals right, then you can you can kind of direct which way the the fat part of the signal goes. And um, that's pretty much it. That's all there is to it. Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I think the actual concept is pretty straightforward. It's just it sounds like something out of like some kind of old sci-fi serial or something. Well, so, so it, 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 yeah, definitely. It, it's uh, uh, Mr. Shoemaker. I am the beam farmer. Is at the at the Klingon ship, and yeah, here we go. Um, it's eight hundred eleven AC is notable for a couple of reasons. One is that uh, throughput got really complicated because the cost of the radios went down enough that even cheap routers have multiple antennas now, so you get the full benefit of the spec. Um, they a lot of vendors will say like eight hundred two eleven AC fifteen hundred, which means which that fifteen hundred is the theoretical throughput in megabits per second across all the antennas. So the and and both both frequency ranges. So the the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz bands. Okay, so you're never going to have a single client connect at that never. speed. Yeah, because you, you generally the clients either connect to the 2.4 gigahertz range, which is going to be slower, but have better uh, um, penetration through walls and stuff like that, or uh, you'll connect to the 5.4 gigahertz band with band, which has higher throughput and uh, maybe less competition but doesn't penetrate walls and things like that as well. Higher, generally speaking, higher frequencies penetrate less well than lower frequencies. So yeah, uh, the other thing is there are two generations of AC. So wave one was the initial wave. Wave two came out midway through 2016 and uh, increased the theoretical throughput from 1.3 gigabits per second to 2.34 gigabits per second and also allowed for a lot more connected devices. So that, that became important. It was a... The, it's something we should note theoretical throughputs on wi-fi are usually like when you're doing a wired network you assume that the, the actual throughput is about 80 percent of the theoretical throughput so if you're talking about gigabit ethernet you're going to get you know it's a thousand megabits per second theoretical and you'll get like 800 megabits to 900 megabits uh actual performance because there's network overhead for like drop packets and you know lost data and stuff like that Error correction. Uh, with Wi-Fi, you need a lot more error correction. So the theoretical throughputs and the and the actual throughputs are sometimes as low as half. 
which is to be expected. Like that's things are working properly. But the neat thing about Wave 2 is that that 2.34 gigabits per second theoretical throughput, even if you're only working at half efficiency, you're going to get faster than gigabit if you have the right number of antennas on both ends. Uh, this might be a level of minutia that most people don't care about. But uh, does that does that overhead manifest at the stated speed that you are connecting to the access point, or is that the actual like the real world throughput within the connection? You know what I mean? Like, or to put it in more practical terms, like you know you can hold Option and click the little Wi-Fi icon on a MacBook and see the actual speed you're connected at. That speed, I think, is the actual throughput that you're getting. So whatever number you see there, you can expect that you're actually going to more or less saturate that. Well, so so there's two places that error correction happen. One is on the physical layer of the network, which is like the actual the network card handles at, before it sees the driver in Windows or OS 10 or whatever your OS is. So the network card does a certain amount of error correction as it goes. Um, inside the inside that lay up up a level from like if you think about network, uh, and I'm going to mess this up. So please scream at your radio. <laughs> Proceed. But yeah, if you think about like think about like a coax cable with multiple layers inside and there's the outer insulation and then there's some like braided wire and then there's a thick layer of insulation and then there's a a little tiny copper wire that runs right through the middle of the whole thing that's solid the outer layer is the network infrastructure and that handles things like keeping the water out and like big big it, it makes sure that it knows where to connect you know it it has a mac address and says here uh, this is me raises his hand this is me and here's how to get to me um, and then you go up a couple of layers and you get to the IP layer. There's also error correction at the IP layer. So you know, your actual Mac address, Mac connected throughput will still be a theoretical on that. And like the efficiency of the UDP or TCP protocols will take a little bit of bandwidth as well. So bottlenecks all the way down. Yeah, you get slices off every time you every time you get to a new layer, basically. Um, the, uh, the last interesting thing about AC is it reaches the Shannon limit. We talked about this yesterday, but the th- Shannon limit is the theoretical. Um, it, it's it's the the Shannon limit is the degree of noise contamination of a communications channel determines the maximum theoretical data rate of that channel. And AC is efficient to the point that it approaches the Shannon limit very closely. So it is, it has physically maximized its own throughput. Yeah. For, for the channel widths, you know, 80 to 60, 100 megahertz yeah. channels, you can always add wider channels or add more channels, but yeah. So, uh, Real quick before we move on from AC, yeah. And if I had maybe stuck with consumer Wi-Fi hardware, I would not be asking this question. But since I bought that Ubiquity access point, I'm in IT land, uh, and I'm sitting here looking at the interface. And uh, yeah, you can set channel widths for both the um, 2.4 and 5 gigahertz radios. Is there any reason not to max those? Like I've fiddled around with that stuff, and like for instance, I found that my clients on the 5G or the 5 gigahertz were connecting at higher speeds. Basically, the options there are 20, 40, and 80, and I was getting better connection speeds at 40 than I was at 80, and I, I maybe there are best practices out there for stuff like that that I should just go read up on, but that seems a little counterintuitive. So there's two reasons. One is if the clients that you're connecting don't support the wider channels. Okay. Um, then there's no reason to turn on the wider channels. And could that actually lead to slower speeds, potentially? Yeah, it shouldn't lead to slower speeds, but just be equivalent because it's a fallback. Yeah, it'll just not use the top half of that channel. It's it's basically you wasting that spectrum. The other thing is you live in a really congested area because you're in a dense residential area and like it's terrible. It's like two. When I opened my phone to connect to your Wi-Fi, I think there were 200 APs or something in range. Yeah, so I, I can I can I can do a site scan off this access point and and it maxes out the list of visible like it literally picks up like over a hundred uh, 2.4 gigahertz. Now. 
that works. Generally speaking, the AC stuff and NN both are much better at dealing with other Wi-Fi interference. Um, I like in my neighborhood, which is a dense suburban neighborhood, not a dense urban neighborhood. I see 40 APs, probably 30 APs. Probably. I don't have any problem. I can run the full 80 megahertz channels with your where you are, it may be that you're having interference with other people who have similar networks. So basically just a trial and error thing. Just try different settings and see what works. It's, it's kind of like placing the router, right? Like if you have the option of moving the router around or moving the mesh network endpoints around, the way you find out if you have the mesh network is in a, in a good spot is by plugging it in, going to the far extent of its range, testing your, testing your throughput, and then moving it like 10 feet to the right or left and seeing if there's a better spot. Um, usually most places you don't have to do that, but if you want to like min max your your coverage then you may for example when my when my father did his in order to get the pole that the that the router that covers the barn is is covered he had to move his upstairs mesh endpoint closer to a window basically is that yeah although although the all that min maxing and trial and error is why i ended up just running ethernet cable across the house transparently because anything that i really care about in terms of you know download speeds and latency i just want to be on a wire well and this is like this is why when you record a podcast with zencaster it says hey are you on a wired inter- ethernet connection because the latency is better um same thing for games like you can you, you you add five or ten milliseconds of latency just be by being on wi-fi with ac and and then g that's why i don't consider wi-fi a viable option for consoles because well i mean it's fine if you're just downloading games and playing single player stuff but if you're if you're yeah. Downloads. Yeah. Downloads. Yeah. Fine. Yeah. And and just to be clear, most of like very relatively few people in the United States have uh, Internet connections that are faster than AC. Yeah. Well, I am. I am also in that tiny slice of the population. Yeah. So, yeah, that does matter for me. But anyway. So so Wi-Fi six Wi-Fi. Oh, wait. There's one more. Oh, there's one in between. There's a tweensy. Have you heard of Y gig? I have. I think I've heard of that name and it sounded so ridiculous that I just blocked it. out. So it is 802.11 AD and AY more extensions of the IEEE 802.11 spec. Uh, they are this operates in two gigahertz, five gigahertz and 60 gigahertz bands. 60. What is that? Uh, that sounds like an illegal number of gigahertz. It's a lot of gigahertz. I mean, like quite literally illegal <laughs> considering the spectrum is regulated, but I don't well, know. So there's another unregulated area above 60 gigahertz that is is basically millimeter wave. Um, uh, uh, Ygig gives you speeds of up to seven gigabits per second. Wow. It's mostly used for uncompressed video, for sending uncompressed video wirelessly. Jeez. So uh, for example, I have a Vive wireless kit uh, that you plug into a Vive or a Vive Pro and it, it uses a battery pack with a VR headset and it can it has enough bandwidth at seven gigabits per second to pipe uh, uncompressed native resolution video per or very lightly compressed native resolution video per eye uh, to the to the VR headset from the computer with an acceptable amount of latency. Yeah, it's, you don't even notice. Next time you come over, you should try it. Jeez, that's wild. Um, it's the 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 problem is I have an antenna that hangs on the top of my monitor and it has to have line of sight. That's that was my question. Yeah. So like if you if you try to put it on the other side of a wall or something like that, it just doesn't work. Yeah, it's mostly for uncompressed video transport. It requires a dedicated card. I don't think it's built into any motherboards. Uh, it's I would describe it as mostly moribund at this point. And I'm and I'm guessing Wi-Fi six will make it 100 percent so pretty much it seems like. Um it seems like it seems like the Y gig was maybe Intel trying to trying to get out in front of the next generation of Wi-Fi and take it as their own and then just nobody cared. That 
never seems like a good idea to me. Like you see it all the time with like, I feel like G-Sync is an example and, and the current NVIDIA ray tracing RTX stuff is, is looks like it's maybe going down a similar path. And like, here's another example of like single corporations, usually the dominant ones trying to like muscle their way in and take control or create a standard when nobody else has agreed to it. And it just seems like it never actually catches on. Like G-Sync has been pretty successful, I think, in the niche that it lives in. Oh yeah, and we've talked about this before. Like it obviously, it, it proved its worth. I mean, like technically, it is, it is very impressive and does what it's supposed to. It's just that like FreeSync seems to be the, you know, the open standard, unsurprisingly, seems to be the thing that is actually really making its way into the, the widest number of products. I mean, the, the RTX thing is it. we should talk, we'll, t- we'll do an episode about ray tracing at some point in the not too distant future. Yeah, I would love to do that. But um, part of part of that, I think NVIDIA's strategy with that stuff, because they are famous for doing this with, with PhysX and G-Sync and now RTX and like hardware transform and lighting extensions way back in the old days. Pixel shaders, all, all that stuff. Yeah, th- their thing is the standards bodies move, the standards committees move really slowly and often like they just want to get something out in market because they want to sell video cards. <laughs> so... That makes sense. And they have a good developer relations team. So they can they can actually get people to use CUDA or get people to use uh, RTX or, or whatever it is. Um, usually, I think, by writing marketing checks. But, you know, that's fine. That's how the business works, I guess. The open standards do seem to move, like, remarkably slowly. Like, I was just reading about PCI Express this morning, and oh. the apparently the standard for PCI Express 5 was ratified before PCI Express 4 hardware, before there were CPUs on the market that supported 4. Well, but that's because the pipeline on CPUs is so deep, right? Well, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, it takes... You're looking at, like, three three years from the initial design to first tape out probably yeah so yeah maybe maybe the new wi-fi standards will come online in consumer products a lot faster than that and like it's important like the thing that's important about wi-fi to note is that literally when they came and talked to us in the in early 2000s about why wi-fi alliance was important their pitch was we're not going to make this faster or better or anything like that we're just going to make it so that if 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 the box has this sticker on it, you know it will work with other devices that have this sticker on it. That was their whole like it was all interoperability testing and like the IEEE drove the the spec forward, but the Wi-Fi Alliance, the people that changed it from 802.11 whatever to Wi-Fi six, were saying, hey, we just want to make sure everything works together. So so like you're talking about minimum viable versus then this is a market where there's 30 different vendors making products or uh, hundreds of vendors making products if you count all the endpoints versus video cards where there's two companies maybe three if you count intel making video cards and i would feel weird about say broadcom determining wide swaths of this spec and saying that that stuff's only going to work on their hardware which is 20 percent of the market or whatever and and whereas nvidia with half of the market or probably more than half in the high end space. Um, it's a, it's a different situation. Yeah, that's fair. So yeah, Wi-Fi six, this is, this is the big business 45 minutes in we're nailing it. All right. Lay it on me. I'm ready. It's been a long time. I'm ready to get excited about Wi-Fi again. Uh, this is, uh, it's 802.11ax. Uh, Wi-Fi Alliance decided to retroactively rename every generation previously based on this sixth generation Wi-Fi. And the speeds are up to 9.6 gigabits per second. Wow. Okay. Now that's, uh, using the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz band plus some newly available area that ranges between 1 and 6 gigahertz. Uh, so uh, basically... Was that spectrum was that spectrum used for anything else previously and has it been freed up? I think it's old phone spectrum, but I'm not sure. Okay. The, the upshot is it's going to be four times faster in areas where AC had dense deployments that were interfering with each other. 
So for you, you might see a significant speed improvement. For me, probably not because we were already at the Shannon limit and it seems like they're not necessarily increasing the the width of the bands for um, 802.11ax. All the, all the Spectrum stuff is hard to get your head around, but that extra gigahertz of Spectrum, the up in the six uh-huh. gigahertz range, like there's, is, is there, is there anything inherently about that range of the Spectrum that is less interactive with itself than the lower part of the range? Or is it just that fewer people will be using it and that's why it won't be as interfered with? Because it's new, there will be fewer pe- people using it. Well, that, that goes without saying, I guess. But what I mean is like once that part of the Spectrum becomes saturated or widely used, is it not going to have the same issues with interference as everything no, else? No, they're just doing they're, they're doing more stuff that makes it work better in the in all spectrums so even if you have a router that's only a five gigahertz and 2.4 gigahertz router you'll still be fine and and par, uh, part of it is also remember this stuff has to work around the whole world so you're looking at um like there may be stuff that's not licensed for public use here that is in japan or south korea or europe or wherever so uh, looking at your notes here Another peek behind the curtain. Uh, This says speeds are 4x faster than AC and dense deployments because of better efficiency and spectrum utilization. So, yes, like maybe to borrow analogy from the CPU uh, world, uh, that sounds like the type of thing where like, you know, clock speeds have remained relatively consistent in CPUs for ages, but but instructions per clock have gone up dramatically. Uh, That sounds like a very similar thing, right? Of like we have an established speed and we are just doing more with it per cycle. Is that basically what we're talking about? That seems right. Um, They're using more... I think bits for the quadra- quadrature amplitude modulation. <laughs> of course. Um, it's uh, used in a lot of telecommunication stuff. And QAM? QAM. Okay, I have seen that acronym before. I had no idea what it meant. Still have no idea what it means. It, basically, it means that they modulate the, the waveform of these analog signals to contain a digital signal, and it's more efficient and is less easily interfered with. Um, it also, there's better power control. So that's potentially going to cut down on the necessary error correction. Yeah. So 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 yeah, you'll have fewer drop packets because your neighbor's Wi-Fi is is annoying. Um, they also do orthogonal frequency division multiple access. Of course they do. Which yeah, which um, it's a different kind of digital modulation scheme uh, that just assigns subsets of of the signal to individual users. And it seems like they may even be able to talk across routers. It's unclear how that works to me. Um, And then the other point is the MIMO, the multiple input, multiple output. Um, There's a multi-user MIMO thing now that I think has been around since in some AC deployments, but is required for the AX deployments. Uh, And what that means is that uh, multiple users can use the same antennas at at the same time, I believe. It's a that that one also is some of these the Wi-Fi consortium. I, I feel like those people are probably writing these Wikipedia articles and the white papers that explain all this stuff. It's a little thin on exactly what that does. Oh, and then the other thing is WPA3 is coming, which is more efficient and more secure. Oh, um, I don't think WPA2 has ever been 100% compromised, right? Like, I think there are some ways to access it or get into it in some, like, very specific scenarios, right? But it's never it's never become anywhere near as as hideously insecure as WEP, right? I, yeah, it's not like WEP where now, like, a, an Android phone can break WEP, I believe. But yeah, it's it's. I mean, WPA two is a perv- is a good example of like secure enough for for most users. Uh, WPA three, there's overhead with WPA WPA two depending on the type of encryption you use. It's not a problem on modern routers, but on old hardware. What was the old Linksys G router that everybody had? Oh, the WRT fifty four G. 
Yeah, the WRT Classic. Yeah, if if you use the wrong type of encryption for that, it would chunk the thing because it didn't have hardware support for AES encryption. I think. Oh wow! Um, but that's that's that stuff's not a problem anymore. Um, also, the other thing about WPA three is it requires the password requirements are higher, so that bad passwords won't like most of the people that I think have had WPA two cracked are because of bad passwords. Like if you make your password a a a a a a a a, yeah, your WPA is going to be pretty easy to figure out. Just use a random number of A's and you'll be fine. There you go, nailed it. It's a one bit password. Uh, let me see. I'm trying to think if I have any standout questions on this. So on the one hand, you're saying the maximum throughput on this is 9.6 gigahertz. I mean gigabits per second. Yes. On on the other hand, you're saying that it really only makes sense in areas with a lot of existing interference. So where where does that where does that massive ceiling on throughput come in if if this is not going to make much difference for people that don't already have a lot of overlapping it's network? If they're um, if you can use the wide 160 megahertz channels at the higher frequencies in your region. Okay. So it really depends on what part of the world you live in. Oh, okay. So we're just getting into regulation at this point. And well, yeah, and how dense your deployment is. So like. If you're only able to use 40 megahertz channels at your house now because your AC router is contested from everybody else around you, then then you may be in a situation where an AX deployment makes sense. Oh, I see. So it's not a, or it's not it's not a matter of which parts of the spectrum are sanctioned in your area. It's just physically what well, it's both. interference you have. It's both. So like if you if you can tap into the above 5.4 gigahertz spectrum, uh, that's that's great and will help you out, right? The main thing is the more efficiency in the routers with competition in the same space. It seems like to me, it's not. It's not like they're using a microwave band like the Y gig stuff is to get ridiculous bandwidth. They're just saying, "Hey, we can do these big fat channels. We can multiplex them." Okay, so then that was another question I was going to ask. Is it's that, that sounds like that would not create any kind of line of sight requirements? Like this will more or less penetrate in the same way as AC. The six gigahertz is about the same as five point. Like it's close enough to five point four that like it'll it goes through walls in a house if you have concrete walls you're going to have problems depending on how much rebar and stone is in there any sense of even if you're a good candidate for an ax upgrade in terms of like your you know the interference patterns around you and stuff like that uh any sense of whether that's a worthwhile thing to do until like all most or all of your clients also support it so in the old days i always write like when you were jumping from g to n getting an n router made a lot of sense because if you had one n device then it would it would split down and drop the everything else to g but your n device would still run pretty fast um i don't know that it's worth upgrading immediately unless you have that really specific use case you know like 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 you you're in a dense congested urban area with a lot of wi-fi and you actually have uses for the high high speed wireless but even even without uh, any devices that specifically support ax um i think i think without devices that support ax it's a different situation i think if you had an ipad or you had a macbook that supported ax it would make a lot more sense I guess that brings me to my last major question of like, when is all this stuff happening? Uh, so the hardware is shipping now. The thing that always happens with Wi-Fi uh, is that the hardware starts coming out before the spec is totally locked down and finalized once they lock down the hardware. Oh, good. That sounds great. It's, it's you know, it's not great, but it's fine. Uh, you can buy a AX dual band 1500 AX router from Amazon today for $90. Oh, that's okay. That's reasonable. And if you want, if you want, that's a 15, that's an AX 1500. So that's across the 2.4 and five gigahertz, whatever bands it's using. If you want the, 
the TP-Link AX6008 stream smart Wi-Fi router. That's $300, bucks, $270. Ah, man, like feature creep and price creep on consumer routers is a whole separate topic, I feel like. Yeah, exactly. I, I feel like, I mean, the thing is, I feel like for most people, the AX stuff is... Like if you're if you're outfitting your house with a mesh network right now, I think the Orbi one is available. It's a they have a Wi-Fi six Orbi now um, with two two nodes, and that's tri band. So that's three three ranges three three. Um, it's AX six thousand up to six gigahertz uh, gigabits per second. Rather, I, I feel like like I wouldn't spend six hundred five hundred dollars on AC stuff at this point. I would buy. If you're going to spend it, either wait or get the get the the Wi-Fi six stuff, just so you have it in the future. Like this stuff lasts a long time. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, it sounds like if you're on a, a an AC setup that you're even relatively happy with right now, it'd be better to just sit tight for a little bit, wait for device device adoption to catch up. And absolutely, um, I'm looking to see when I bought my router. I bought my Netgear AC router in 2014, so it's a four year old AC 1900 router. Wow. Okay. So. Yeah, this is one of the biggest reasons I've been happy moving to this modular approach where I've got the standalone router slash gateway that is just that for wired stuff and then having this external separate access point because now I can throw out the I can throw this AC access point in the trash when I'm or, you know, whatever, sell it uh, or put it in a drawer most likely when I'm done with it and just get a new access point. And like this router is going to be good for a very long time and I don't have to worry about replacing the entire thing. And the router was what, like a hundred bucks probably? Um, it retails for 200. I got it at 150 on sale, but, but it's a good, it's a very fast capable router that I've got. Like I set up my own VPN on it. It's doing a lot of stuff. Uh, I think I've talked about before. It's, it's doing some DNS caching for me and stuff like that. Like it's a good piece of hardware and like, it's nice to configure that and have it just there and probably keep it for years and not worry about like a new Wi-Fi standard making that obsolete as well. Well, I mean, that's absolutely, you're absolutely right. It's a, you, like the router with the, with the access point built in, like as in all the mesh network stuff and all the standalone routers is essentially like a TV with a VCR in the bottom. Right. Remember those? Yeah, totally. So it, on one hand, on the other hand, the, the pro stuff is really hard to configure if you don't understand basic networking stuff. It's a hassle. It's a massive hassle. I, I really I've gone from being really wary of the mesh networking stuff to recommending it for everyone. Oh, totally. I mean, it, it sounds like if you don't want to fiddle with stuff and you just want to plug things in and have it work, and especially if you don't want to have to run wires like running wires is is still the best way to make that stuff work and be super reliable. Um, but not running wires is much better for almost every human being I've ever met. I have a dark secret. What's your dark secret? The biggest reason that I wish I could own a home in this area is so I could run wires everywhere. Brad. I mean, and I mean everywhere. Brad, when we bought this house 12 years ago, we had it for a week before we got the floors done. And Gina and I came over here. We painted the whole thing. And then I had half a day left and I had bought 500 feet of Ethernet. Oh, my God. And a bunch of outlets. And I, I have at least one Ethernet outlet in every room. And some rooms have two to four. So they're everywhere. I'm so jealous. They're only five. They're only Cat 5e, though, because Cat 6 was really expensive back then. So uh, I, it's more than good enough. That'll be OK. Yeah, I think that I think that's a unless you have other. So. So, yeah, like. The, t- the TLDR on should you get Wi-Fi 6 is if you already have AC and it's good for you, don't bother probably right now. Yeah, just give um, a few years. If you're building a house or something and and like doing Wi-Fi installation, if you're up moving into a new place and and you like probably I would not spend money on 
if you need to spend money on Wi-Fi stuff, I probably would not spend money on Wi-Fi on AC at this point. I would probably go with the full AX slash Wi-Fi 6. Yes, I think you mean Wi-Fi 6 as opposed to Wi-Fi 5. I hate this. I hate this so much. Hey, did you know that Facebook is all caps now? It's F-A-C-E-B-O-O-K, all caps. They rebranded. We have to change the way we say it. Nope. (sighs) Nope. Um, last real, real fast. Last question. Like, do you have any idea when, like, let's say your, you know, your iPhones, your flagship Android phones, your iPads, surfaces, et cetera, et cetera, will all start having six integrated. Like that's probably what a little ways off in terms of getting it like efficiently integrated in, into SOCs. So there's one thing that's important to note, uh, Wi-Fi six, um, micro, what, what are those NV? No. Uh, what are the little cards that go in the computers called? They're not an NVMe. The other, the other spec I'll type PCIe card laptop and see if Google. Okay. So you could buy Wi-Fi six adapters for your laptop right now. They are M two cards, little tiny M two cards. They're like the size of a postage stamp and they have, uh, antenna connectors on them like this. You can buy an Intel, Intel AX card right now. My guess is it's an upgrade option on a lot of laptops if you're doing build to order. So like you can get those devices now. They'll still be backwards compatible with AC and they'll work great with AC. Uh, so yeah, like everything but Macs where stuff is soldered on and phones. My guess is next year's phones support AC. Okay. You mean in six AX? AX, yeah. Uh, and and um, uh, across the board, I'm sure there's some Android devices that support AX already. Yeah, that would make sense. Those things come out all the time. But in my experience, the cell phone processors are usually so slow that it doesn't matter. You're not going to see the maximum theoretical throughput of your of your Wi-Fi because the processor will choke. Also, who needs multiple gigabits per second of throughput on a phone? Look, man, like, I got what are you going to do with I that? I got that 4K <laughs> HDR video and it's uncompressed. So, yeah, I got that speed test app. I just want to see that number go up. Yeah, so that's Wi-Fi. If you if you all have questions yeah. about Wi-Fi, uh, I don't think we're going to do questions this week because we did a big question episode last week. Uh, but you can send them to techpod at content.town. We will endeavor to answer them. Uh, somebody asked me if I could come fix their computer last week. Wow. Which I thought was nice. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Did you agree? I gave him a quote. You know, my normal rate plus travel plus expenses. <laughs> you know, the, the usual. <laughs> Negotiations are ongoing. Yeah, we're, we'll see how it goes. Let's see. I guess that's it for us. Uh, you can uh, mash the review button on iTunes. Helps a lot. We're getting... We've gotten some... We should read some reviews at some point because there's some pretty funny reviews in there. Okay. Yeah, everybody loves a good review read. Is, is my fragile ego going to be able to handle it? You're... you're look... There has not been a more gratifying place for your fragile ego than the iTunes review section for this podcast. Okay. I just want to be wrapped in a warm, comforting blanket. It's universal adoration for you. Everybody hates me, but that's fine. I'm used to that. You're going to be throwing roses at us. Well, just you. Yeah, exactly. As long as you don't stand too close to me, you'll be fine. Um, uh, Yeah. So mash the review button. That helps get the word out. The podcast is, I feel like we're, this is our ninth episode now or 10th episode, depending on how you count it. Yeah. Yeah, trucking along. So I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's been fun. Uh, um, the feedback has has been really lovely. So we appreciate that. Highly informative. Uh, you can follow the podcast at Sweatpants Tech on the Twitters. I think we have an Instagram, but I don't expect to ever use that. I just reserved it just in case. Good to know. I don't even have an Instagram, so maybe I'll just hijack that thing someday. You don't have a gram? Nope. <sighs> Somebody had already gotten my name, so I was just like, ah, what do I need this for? That's like I never do anything cool enough to take a picture of it. And I have plenty of venues for sharing pictures of my kid. Yep, exactly. So, uh, 
Brad, where can people find you on the internets? Uh, at Brad Shoemaker on Twitter. Probably the best place. I'm at Will Smith on the Twitters. Uh, also probably my best place. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. I guess we'll see you all next week. Yeah. Bye. Bye.